ABC wanted to promote the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles as an action-adventure, but George Lucas kept saying, this is not an action-adventure show, this is a show about the intellectual growth of a boy. There was a podcast called The Sequel Cast that talked about movies. Movies. And they also talked about something else called movies. Movies. It's The Sequel Cast. Oh yeah, The Sequel Cast. It's The Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. Sequel Cast is a show that talks about movies and a franchise every episode, going through movie by movie. We've been talking uh, about uh, Indiana Jones for the past month or so, and uh, we're wrapping up that discussion on Indiana Jones this time around with a look at the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles uh, TV series, and we might even touch on uh, some of the video games a little bit. So uh, with me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. I do want to mention, if you want to check out past episodes of the Sequel Cast, you can do so at SequelCast.com, or you can send us an email, SequelCast at gmail.com. We also have a, a Facebook page. If you just look it up on Facebook, uh, we're there. Uh, also with us is a special guest who's been with us for all the Indiana Jones episodes, Mitch Halleck from the IndieCast and the Raider.net. Hello, Uncle Milkshake. Hello, Thrasher. Hello. 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 So, before we start talking about Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and when we first saw it and that sort of thing, I was looking over my uh, book collection. I have a hardcover book I got for cheap called uh, The Cinema of George Lucas. And okay. it has a quote in there from the uh, Lucasfilm Director of Communication, Lynn Hale. And I don't know if she was Director of Communication when the show was on or at the time of the book publication. The book is from 2005. But this is what mm -hmm. she has to say about Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. ABC wanted to promote the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles as an action-adventure, but George Lucas kept saying, this is not an action-adventure show, this is a show about the intellectual growth of a boy. And I think in that quote, you find a lot what might have disappointed people about um, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, or as it's retitled to the DVD, I think Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And that, you look at the movies, and, I mean, the movies are not just nonstop action, but that's a large part of them. And the TV show has a slower pace, I think would be fair to say. Yeah, I think, so. I think that's fair. So I think the, quote, the Indiana Jones Chronicles, for listeners that might not have heard of it before, it was a show that had three seasons, two on ABC, and then one several years later on the Family Channel, where they did some uh, made-for-TV-length uh, movies about it. And then later, when it came out on uh, VHS and DVD, they sort of re-edited episodes of the TV show to make them like sets of um, feature-length movies where they'd cut two episodes together. And there's a whole controversy about that, but we'll get into that. But before we do, let's uh, talk about uh, when we first saw the Young Indiana Jones uh, Chronicles. And for me, I remember very well, I was in, in third or fourth grade at the time, when this uh, TV show premiered on TV and I saw the commercials, I was all excited for it. Sat down to watch the first episode with the uh, little kid, Indiana Jones, in uh, Mexico. And I was bored within the first ten minutes and turned off the TV. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since then I've appreciated the show more. But you certainly have to approach it, I think, from a different point of view. And I think as you get, even though it's a show that's trying to be educational... 
it is uh, one of those things where there's action. Some stories are action, some stories are romance, some stories are comedies. There's a lot of variety throughout the life of this TV series. Uh, Thrasher, when did you first uh, see an episode of Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Uh, I saw the premiere, and I watched it all the way through. Um, I do agree with you. At the time, as a kid, I was kind of bored through parts of it. But that was also the time when I was starting to become really media savvy and cynical about television, which I was at a really young age. If you guys remember my age quotes in the previous episode, you can figure out how old I was. And so I was sort of of the mindset, well, yes, I was kind of bored, but I see a lot of potential. This is just kind of a pilot. The show will improve from here on out. And unfortunately, I didn't see too many other episodes because, as, as I recall, the time slot kept getting screwed with by the network. Uh, I remember in my area it kept getting preempted and, and all, you know, all the usual stuff that dooms uh, non-standard television. Uh, Mitch, did you start watching the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles as soon as it aired on TV? Yeah, I remember first hearing about the project because there was, um, back in the day, McDonald's would give away VHS copies of movies. And if you got the Raiders of Lost Ark or the Indiana Jones trilogy back then, there was a, a three-minute trailer that was very intriguing that said, you know, I've had the adventure of a lifetime. My name is Indiana Jones. And they would just show these old hands and a, a diary, the Journal of Indiana Jones, and it would open up. And it would say, I met some amazing figures through history. And they show, of course, like every trailer, the great parts, the exciting parts, you know. And you see <laughs> this young indie you know, a motorcycle chase, explosions, World War One aircraft coming towards him, and he's riding a horse, and Pancho Villa's in it, and there's guns, and you're like, wow, this is going to be, in your mind, like an Indiana Jones movie every week, free, on TV. And they heavily promoted it. I remember the Super Bowl, ABC kept airing commercials for it, and it was on the cover of TV Guide, and we all waited to see it, and when it premiered in March 92... Just like you fellas, the first thing I, I reacted to was this old fellow with a, a cane and an eye patch. <laughs> and that was Indiana Jones, because if you recall, the original series had old Indy as the bookend narrator. He'd yeah. sit there and reminisce about a show or an yeah. event in his life, and then they would flash back to the story, and then they would flash forward at the very end, and you'd learn your little moral of the story, or he'd summarize what happened to that character he met, whether they went on to become a president or a great musician. So it was very shocking, to say the least. I mean, as much as it was fun to see Indy's dad, who we've seen in the movies as Sean Connery, we saw his mother, who we'd only heard about in the past that she had died. We saw Indiana, the dog, briefly, that he got his name from. So there was great potential, like Thrasher said, and you hoped it was going to get better. But it was a very odd sort, because if you recall, guys, the show jumped back and forth from nine-year-old Indy to 16-year-old Indiana Jones off to World War One, and then next week you'd go back to nine-year-old Indy. And it was very hard to follow. Not only was it aired irregularly because it used to be preempted on the East Coast, if that's where you're from too, Thrasher, by Monday Night Football uh, or Sunday Night Football, whatever yeah. it was, football would run late. And Young Indy was supposed to be on at 7 o'clock on Sunday nights maybe or 8 o'clock on Monday nights. It moved around a lot. And it was oh, that always, time slot is death. When you butt up yeah, and it was always like, football. we'll see you next week because Monday Night Football's on tonight or whatever it was. It was never on when it was supposed to be, and, and it did suffer from being lost in the schedule. Well, and that's something I appreciate from the DVD release is um, that it's presented in a chronological order. 
Even though yeah. that means, especially in the episodes with the really young Indiana Jones, played by Corey Carrier, where he's supposed to be like, what, 10 or 12 years old, the age of the character between episodes sometimes uh, fluctuates wildly. Yeah. Yeah, and, he, uh, it starts off said he was nine years old in the in the pilot, but yeah, Corey Carrier himself, the actor, because kids grow, imagine that, uh, <laughs> and they did film these over a couple of years. There's some sequences on the DVD edited versions where he walks in the doorway at nine years old, and he comes out the other side, and he's eleven, and he's shot up about six inches, and <laughs> they've got him in the same outfit, and you're kind of like, what's going on? My children saw that, and they were like, what happened? You know. Why did his voice just change in one scene? It's cracking now. He's going through puberty right before my eyes. And then he goes back to the doorway and he's a little kid again. What's going on? Well, it's interesting so. when uh, Young Indiana Jones, the TV show, originally aired, that it sort of aired all out of order. Because I, I sort of think about the uh, current uh, Clone Wars, uh, Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, cartoon that George Lucas has. And those episodes are all out of order, you know, with the, however they're supposed to be in which can also make that one very confusing. But uh, Yeah, but it's still within that three-year period between Episode 2 and Episode 3, so it's not wild swings from that's true. eight years ago to... If they jumped back and forth and showed Anakin as a you know younger teenager kid, and then they jumped back to when he was in his 20s during the Clone Wars, you'd see some really disjointed storytelling and character development that would just infuriate the, uh, the viewer. That's a very good point. Uh so where to begin actually talking about this young Indiana Jones TV show? I want to say to prepare for this, I watched a few different episodes. I uh, I, I went to a local video store called Movie Madness in uh, Portland, Oregon, and I was able to rent, I think, Volume 3 of the series because it had Mystery mm-hmm. of the Blues with the mm, Harrison Ford. One. And that one's not on... In, uh, the rest of the episodes, as of May 2011, are on Netflix Watch Instantly, but not that episode with the Harrison Ford. Yes, you're right. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, and it's funny, watching this TV show, you see actors that become famous later on yeah. in modern times. And uh, out of the ones I saw, I really enjoyed one called Scandal of 1920 that's sort of set in Broadway. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a romance between Indiana Jones and three different women, and he's trying to juggle it all at the same time. Yeah. They did that earlier, too, and there's a great actor um, who played Ernest Hemingway, who also went on, we should know, uh, remember I mentioned last time when we were talking about Last Crusade that the guy that played his dad was also in that horrible Roger Corman movie who played Mr. Fantastic? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the fellow who plays um, Ernest Hemingway on the Young Indy Show was the human torch in that movie, so I think there's an an Indiana Jones (laughs) curse that follows the actors and actresses who appeared in that Roger Corman uh, movie. I don't know what happened to the guy who played the thing. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, like you just mentioned there, when you watch that season, you'll see a lot of people in there that you'll go to see. You're going to see Catherine Zeta-Jones, Daniel Craig is on some episodes, Elizabeth Hurley plays uh, Indiana Jones' girlfriend when he's off to Ireland before World War I. Uh, Lucas Haas is on the show, the kid from Witness. Of course, there's legends like Max von Sydow, Christopher Lee appears on the show, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Vanessa Redgrave. There's a lot of well-known actors in Young Indiana Jones, and even some well-made or well-known filmmakers, too. Don't forget, you've got Frank Darabont, who's writing some of these shows before he goes on to do Shawshank Redemption and, you know, The Green Mile. So this is these are not just hack writers. Even Carrie Fisher was brought in for some of the episodes to punch up some of the dialogue. So it is a rather uh, 
odd assortment. You have such great talents on the show that you'd expect to see an amazing episode week to week, but sometimes, like you said, it falls flat. And, uh, yeah, even Terry Jones from Monty Python fame directed an episode, and, you know, he was a, a co-director on um, all the Monty Python movies with uh, Terry Gilliam. So, Mitch, is there an episode of Young Indiana Jones Chronicles that sticks out to you? Well, you know, like I said, I had problems with it as a viewer because I was expecting something different than what was on every week. And then reading how uh, Mr. Lucas was involved with the George Lucas Education Foundation and how he had this great ed- idea to make it fudgicational or fungicational. You know, it's fun <laughs> to watch. And fun to, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it again? Edutainment. Yeah, that's it, edutainment. It was fun to watch, and you learned a valuable lesson. There are some great moments and great scenes in these. I'm not going to bash the whole show because it's not an exciting Temple of Doom ride. There's one where he meets um, Albert Schweitzer, Mm. and they're in the Congo jungle, and he's with the uh, French army or the Belgian army. He sneaks in and joins the services there. And there's this whole debate that you learn about, you know, understanding is knowledge, and through knowledge you come to acceptance. And there's some very heavy stuff on a show designed to be maybe for kids, maybe for adults and stuff. So the writing's really great, and you do walk away with some things to think about. And if you want to talk about religion, there's an episode where he goes to India, and he goes for a walk with Krishnamurti, and they talk about all the world's religions within an hour. They talk about Judaism Catholicism, they talk about Muslims and, and all the different beliefs people have. And, you know, that's something that if you stand back and look at the world we live in and you realize all the problems that are out there and wars that are started because of people's beliefs and you watch this one episode that tries to put it in little bite-sized pieces so you can kind of figure out what's happening out there. I mean, again, that's a, for network television, even today, let alone the early 90s, that's some really broad, heady stuff to put on a show that stars a guy who was famed for dragging under a truck, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I, One thing about the series, I haven't seen every single episode of the series, but I do tend to gravitate towards the uh, Sean Patrick Flannery episodes when Indiana Jones is a bit older, simply because there's more for Indiana Jones to do to be an active participant in the plot. Because mm-hmm. when he's younger, and I think Corey Carrier does a, a fine job playing a younger uh, Indiana Jones, his role is just to be more passive because of his age and yeah. has to ask, well, what is, what is Judaism? Or why did the yeah. Chinese use herbs for medicine? Or what's yeah. a pyramid? And I don't think it's kind of like that. It's, it's kind of like Wishbone the Dog. You guys remember that? He's a taller Wishbone on two legs, okay? <laughs> Well, you know what that's like? Normally those questions are the sidekick's job. Yeah. But in this case, it's the main character. And I, th- I, think, I think that's something that, at least on a subconscious level, I think people wouldn't be used to. They're used no. to the main character knowing everything, and if not knowing everything, still ready to charge ahead and leaving it to the sidekicks to say, well, well, gee, Doctor, what is Mars like? You know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and you know what the funny thing is? Lucas kind of shot himself in the foot by starting this show at a nine-year-old Indy, because we'd already seen The Last Crusade, and we saw that monumentous day where he became, or the start of the Indiana Jones we all knew and loved, with River Phoenix. And that is when he's supposed to be around 12 or so in Utah, when he goes on the circus train and he gets his whip and his scar and his hat and the whole thing about the snake. So we know that's not happening yet. So everything we're watching with young Indy as a 9- and 10-year-old 
is rather dull because we know it's not happening. We know it's it's not going to be there yet. And you know what, fellas? There's a very interesting conversation about this show, and we got to go back to old indie for a second. There was a comic book adaption or adaptation, I'm sorry, that came out from Dark Horse Comics where they would take these episodes and they would they would put them in comic form and they'd sell them to kids. And, they, you know, it's kind of like a classic comics. Do you know what that is? Yeah. You take Ivanhoe or Moby Dick and you make it. Claxus. Yeah, exactly. There's a scene where old Indy is dropping his car off at a hotel and a valet takes his keys. And he says to him, oh, Professor Jones. I loved reading all your adventure stories. They're my great. They're my favorite reads. And that one little phrase got me thinking that the Indiana Jones that we all saw in Raiders and Temple of Doom and Last Crusade, if in this world, this reality of the TV show, perhaps those were the vivid imaginations of the old indie character, or they were just embellished adventure stories. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. this is really the actual Indiana Jones. They gave him a birthday. He was born July 1st, uh, 1899. He met historical characters. He met Pablo Picasso. He'll meet Ernest Hemingway. He'll meet uh, Stalin. He'll meet all these people. So then you're supposed to watch the show and go, wait a second, maybe the flamboyant adventure during do Daredevil that we say in the screen is from the imagination of this old man. And when he tells these stories, that's, he just embellishes this. I thought that was a cool idea, but they never really brought that up on the show. They never said, oh, the indie that you watched exists. He's Harrison Ford. So when you see him in the heroic legend, that's the Harrison Ford character. When you see him as an old man or something, this is the George Hall eyepatch wearing cranky man with a cane. And uh, I, I just thought that was a, an interesting thing they could have put into the show, maybe explain more. Because as an Indiana Jones fan, you watch that show every week to try to find out a little bit more about the character that you know and loved from the films. You know, you wanted to find out maybe where he got his hat made. I don't know, where he got his whip made or his gun or, or a friend. Or maybe when he met Marcus Brody or the first time he met Sala. You, you would really like to see that as he's going along on these adventures meeting historical characters. It would be fun to see him meet people that tie into the movies. And then it kind of brings it all home again. You know, I, I Does that actually... make sense? I, I kind of like that idea. I mean, it, it's it's very it's very metafictional, certainly too metafictional for TV and movies at the time. But I do kind yeah. of like the idea that the movies, that the Indiana Jones of the movie is a separate thing from the Indiana Jones of, of TV. And speaking as somebody who has uh, a lot of experience with movies, TV, comic books, video games, but more importantly, a lot of experience with the fandom of movies, TVs, comic books, mm. and video games... Nothing kills my enthusiasm or something faster than people bitching about continuity. Yeah. And, and so I am totally fine with the movies and the show being two separate things. Now, I can accept the differences in the medium. I can accept the differences in the story, and that would settle a lot of arguments. They even do it with the music. There's some beautiful music written for the Indiana Jones television series, and it's done by Joel McNeely, and I can't remember the other fellows right now, but the soundtracks to those shows were on uh, Lawrence Rosenthal. That's the other one. They were amazing pieces of work. They were up there with a John Williams because each one had a certain flavor to it. If he was in Morocco, if he was in Africa, if he was in Ireland, they would incorporate the, the history or the locale into the music. So it wasn't just the same. Din, 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 din. And that's another thing. I mean, you've got to give Lucas credit because he is doing a lot of groundbreaking things that we're unaware of. He's starting digital, uh, 
special effects CGI stuff is being incorporated on the show that was like the guinea pig for CGI work was the young indie show. The music, the locales, they went to 35 different countries. I don't know many TV shows that do such a thing. They traveled all around the world. When I talked to Sean Patrick Flannery, he didn't even have a passport when he got the gig. You know, within a year or so, he was all around the world. And this is a kid who was 24 years old or so, or he'd, he'd never left the country. So it, it was a really, really monumentous task to get this show out every week. So maybe looking back in, in retrospect, it was too big for its britches. Maybe it should have been a bunch of movies or a miniseries like they do over in the BBC, where they don't do 20 or 30 shows a year. They only do six or ten. And maybe the quality would have been a little better. Yeah, maybe with the whole scope of it. I mean, I think originally there was an outline for, what, what was it, like 70 episodes, I think? Oh, yeah. And they yeah, ended up crazy. making... Um, it's difficult to break it down once you see... They ended up making more or less about half of those. Yeah. And they were able to get a lot done, but, I mean, certainly this was, as you said, this was filmed around the world. You get a lot of very nice uh, photography of the scenery. It wasn't like they filmed yeah. Young Indiana Jones up in Canada the whole time. No, supposed it wasn't to believe it's India or uh, China or Paris or wherever. And yeah. it's a very uh, interesting series. And I, although I'm glad they all finally came out on DVD, because before that they were released on videotape, but it wasn't all the episodes. No, it wasn't. There was a plan to do all of them, but they stopped after I think it was 12 or so, and they didn't do the full 25 or 30 and you know what? There we go again. We tied it in, and that's how they changed the name of Raiders Lost Ark. When they began to issue these as VHS tapes, they put them in order, so you would get, you know, chapter twenty-two, yeah, uh, May nineteen nineteen, May or you know April, whatever. And then Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark got rechristened Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, episode twenty-five. And then they put Temple of Doom as episode 24, so they physically wow. made it the prequel. Yeah, and they packaged it like that. You would get the trilogy, the indie trilogy, in 24, 25, 26 order with a bonus disc, which was Indiana Jones and the Eye of the Peacock, which was probably the most adventuresome of the entire young indie series where he goes on a quest to find... Remember we talked about this on the Temple of Doom? You were asking me yeah. about the diamond. That episode is about that diamond's chase. It was the... Uh, Alexander the Great, it was a diamond that he possessed, and he and his friend Rennie, Remy go on a, um, a quest to find it. And there's some hints at the Indiana Jones music in it. We see some scenes in it that are very Raiders-like with the temple opening, the beginning, he's reaching in, and there's a, a snake that goes by his hand. So they're trying to throw it back to the movies, like, oh, look, he's about to become Indiana Jones. He's about to become the guy you know in the movie. So, I mean... They tried towards the end. I think they knew the networks were breathing down their neck and said, hey, look, guys, can we get a couple car chases in here now and then, maybe <laughs> use the whip? Because at the end of the day, you have to sell soap or, or, or pancake mix because they need sponsors. That's what TV is. It's really stuff they wrap around commercials if you want to be cynical about it. You know, it's something and that I they do. put there. So it's something they put there since they did radio shows that, that you listen to. And by the way, here comes cornflakes. And no one's going to buy cornflakes or soap powder if the show that you wrapped around it is pretty lame. You know, all the actors in the show do a good job, but it's really fun watching Lloyd Owen play the part of a Henry Jones Sr., played by Sean Connery in Last Crusade. Because he does a very convincing imitation of Sean Connery and has the beard and everything. And it's is nice he better to have... than Thrasher? 
That's, that's a close call. I don't know, but uh, I don't. I don't a pretty intense one, though. But well, these uh, I don't know. Thrasher and Lloyd Owen, I guess they're pretty close, but uh, I don't have you any know, audio to play to compare it right now. But it's we nice all get to have that together. That. It's a special feature. Ugh. But um, <laughs> it's nice to get that sort of continuity of having the guy sound like Sean Connery and having that be a reminder from Last Crusade. So we've talked a bit about Young Indiana Jones, and I before we uh, move on to the video game talk a bit, I, I do want to say the DVD release of a Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, it was split over three different volumes, and you they made, uh, I think, almost 100 documentaries or spread across yeah. those uh, three different sets about the historical Damn. context of different characters and what was going on in the different countries at the time the episodes are set. And uh, those documentaries are about half an hour apiece and really well done. They talk to historians, uh, college professors, that kind of thing. But on the other hand, you don't get any sort of audio commentary or behind the scenes on the episodes themselves. Well, you know what? Can I throw this out there? You know how you said they're about a half hour or so? There's a group called Indie in the Classroom. It's run by a fellow named Thomas Riddle who's been on the IndieCast show. He's a teacher down in Greensville, South Carolina. He did what George Lucas intended these shows to be as an educational tool, yeah. and he teaches social studies and history to his students huh. with Indiana Jones. So they go ahead and they put the video on so the kids can watch the fictional adventure of Indiana Jones meeting uh, Pablo Picasso. And then the reason why those documentaries are about 45 minutes, they're about the average length of a class in school. Hmm. Oh, you know, so you cool. can just put that on. You can say, okay, today we're going to watch Indiana Jones in the trenches in World War One, and he's going to meet Charles de Gaulle. And your assignment is to go home and look up who Charles de Gaulle is. And tomorrow we're going to put on the bonus documentary and learn about Charles de Gaulle. They're very well done. And like I said, they're perfectly designed to be in a 45-minute classroom format so the kids can absorb it and watch the show. Because, you know, if you go to a movie, a lot of people probably know more about World War Two from going to the movies than they ever did from learning in a history book. And that's just the way it is. People like to be entertained. And you might as well do that. Again, was it called Thrasher? Fungicational? Uh, Edutainment. Edutainment. So these guys have actually made a program about that. They've gone around. They've talked to uh, educators around the country. They've gone to Skywalker Ranch. They've met with the folks there. He even bumped into George Lucas. So this young Indiana Jones is being used today as we speak in classrooms around the country as a, a teaching tool. So I don't know many shows that do that. I recall when I recall when I was off. in high school, I had a, uh, a biology professor that was big into Star Trek. And there's some program where you can watch uh, Star Trek episodes, I think from both Star Trek, the original show, and A Next Generation, where you watch an episode and then you answer questions and answers uh, very loosely related to science. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty half-assed, but I agree with the Indiana Jones <laughs> Chronicles. Those documentaries are really good. They're about the right length. And it's impressive. Yeah. In those documentaries, it's not like half the length of the documentaries is clips from the TV show. No, none of, the, no, none no. of those documentaries use clips from the TV show at all. You could even show those t- uh, documentaries apart from the show and not even realize oh, yeah. it's connected to uh, young Indiana Jones. And there's some frightening stuff in there. You watch those World War One documentaries that are on the uh, second volume, the, the yeah. War Year. My God, they have, like, the German army going through trenches with, like, uh, horses with gas masks on as they're coming through because yeah. they just dropped mustard gas. 
And this is real. I mean, this isn't a Hollywood back lot. This is guys that they film, you know, footage from the time. You yeah. watch some of that stuff, and it's it's very eerie to see, you know? Definitely. Uh, so I think we've had a nice discussion about Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, oh can I bring uh, up one last thing about Young Indy? Go ahead. Yeah, sure. And that's, that's old Indy, because we yeah. do yeah. often see in the book, and the same as the older Indy Jones, he has an eye patch. I so want to know... How he gets that eye patch. See, see, that's the thing that, you know, like I said, as an Indiana Jones fan, you hope they peppered the show with some little snippets of information about what happened to him after the last crusade. We would have loved to find out if he plucked his eye out because he had thrown into some mystical <laughs> fire to learn the future of the Earth. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, I always imagined it was, like, stolen by one of Odin's ravens or something like that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But you know what the sad thing is, though? He only lives in our memory, kind of like the Road Warrior, because there is no old Indy anymore. He's been exercised yeah. from the DVD releases, oh. so he kind of doesn't exist. He doesn't that's, a, that's a real disservice. No, he and Sebastian Shaw, the original old Anakin Skywalker, meet in heaven and talk about how they... <laughs> They don't get any residual royalty checks any longer because yeah. they've been thrown out of Lucasfilm continuity. Damn. So, I know, I know. Tell me about it. When the Indiana Jones and Crystal Skull came out, we were like, oh, well, you know he can't die because he's going to be old Indy. Oh, wait, there is no old Indy anymore? Oh, okay, well, maybe he could. <laughs> so, you kind of wish at least they would have put those on some deleted scene section of the DVD, but they don't. And, I mean, that well, stuff's there on YouTube if you want to find it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a fellow who comes to the Raven forums, which is the Raider.net forum, and his name is Stu, S-T-O-O. And if you do a Google search or a YouTube search for Stu TV, he has all the bookends from the old nice. indie series up there. And you can watch them all, even the deleted old indie one from Mystery of the Blues. Mm. See, in the States, we saw Harrison Ford as the big ratings getter because it was, you know, what do they call Sweeps Month. That was Harrison Ford's big appearance. And they got preempted here on the East Coast because we had a huge snowstorm. Okay, oh. you can't win. The show is doomed. I remember going to watch it, and all the electricity was out, and my friend in the West Coast had to tape it for me. But, uh, yeah, you could see uh, George Hall in the Mystery of the Blues opening if you go onto YouTube, and that was never shown in the U.S. Oh, you know what? Before we sign off on the you know, old indie, there's a hell of a spooky episode where he meets Dracula. Did you see that one? I did not oh, see that one. Uh, that is one of the best ones. It never aired in the United States. Okay. It was only oh. shown in Europe because it's so damn creepy, and you only had to get it on the videotape collection or the DVD. That one's out there. I mean, that's when he becomes, you know, what is it, master of the occult and all that stuff that they refer to him in the movies. That's where he first encounters zombies and the living dead and vampires. It's a very cool episode. It yeah, has nothing to do with it. If you're looking for that show on Netflix or on the DVDs, it's, uh, the title is called... Uh, Mask of uh, Evil, and it's the second half yeah. of the episode, uh, Transylvania. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's it's also cool if you guys want to watch it. You can find a lot of cameos by Indiana Jones actors. Everybody from uh, Belloc is in there twice, to uh, William Hookins, who was Porkins from you Star Wars guys out there. He was the uh, army guy, oh, okay. and even the Monk Man, it makes an appearance in there. Vic Taliban, he's in that too. Huh. So there's a lot of Raiders reference and actors in there. But anyway, let's let's move on to video games because those are always fun to play. Sure. We talked a little bit about video games in the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode. And uh, lately I've been trying to play through, it was an Xbox and PlayStation 2 game called Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. And uh, yeah. I'm no good at it. I can't get past <laughs> a, a part at the end of the training section where you're in some temple in, South, in Peru, I believe, and you have to get past a giant crocodile. 
And uh, that thing kills me every time. But I, I still enjoy it. Like for the, that Emperor's Tomb game, they composed an original score uh, performed by a live orchestra for that. And uh, I don't know. There's so many Indiana Jones games out there. Uh, Thrasher, what is one of those Indiana Jones uh, video games that you enjoy? Well, I've, I've already explained my frustration with the Temple of Doom video game. I sadly never got a chance to play Emperor's Tomb. I remember, because uh, originally it was going to be a PC game. And actually, for all I know, it maybe was uh, available on the PC. And, you know, this was back in high school. I was really into PC gaming, and I followed its development. They were chronicling it through, through PC Gamer magazine, just getting so excited, so excited, and so excited. But it took so long to come out. By that by the time it did, I wasn't really that into computer games or video games. So it completely passed me by. But all the screenshots of it in development were very impressive, including what appeared to be a robot made out of ancient Chinese clockwork, which was kind of cool. I don't know if that made it to the final game. But I do remember uh, Indiana Jones, and I think it was The Fate of Atlantis, the LucasArts mm -hmm. adventure games. Uh -huh. And those are great. Even the worst LucasArts adventure game is still going to be a great game. And sadly, I did not get a chance to play the whole thing. I was playing it at a, at a friend's house. He had a copy. So I think, I think I only got maybe about a quarter of the way through the game. But it had everything you look for in a LucasArts game. It had a good story, good puzzles, good characters and dialogue. And it was just the fact that you got to play Indiana Jones having an amazing adventure involving Atlantis was just a bonus. Yeah, that one, the storyline... God, I haven't played that one in several years, but... Uh... In Atlantis, they had an element called Orichalum that the Nazis yeah. wanted to harness that would give them uh, extreme power. It was a power source, basically, that was extremely powerful. Among other things. Yeah. And yeah. Um, after the beginning part of the game, you sort of had a choice. You could go through the rest of the game three different ways, whether you'd focus on... Uh, one was kind of an easy mode where they give you more hints. One was sort of more based on action where you got into these fight scenes with very simplistic uh, controls, and one was sort of the hardcore mm -hmm. adventure mode full of a, a lot of extra hard puzzles in there. Um, did you ever play that one, Mitch? Uh, yeah, guys, I could probably say I've played practically every single one of them, except for, oh, okay. like, I think, the Indiana Jones desktop adventures, but those games were so damn hard. I remember the Fate of Atlantis. There used to be a phone number you uh -huh. could call oh, to get yeah. the hint line. And it was like, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to spend the $2 or whatever it cost back then. And then you would just give up. But I remember there was a scene where you had to hit these skulls to make, like, a musical notes, and they have to be in a certain order to open a door. And you have, like, five different ones. It's just stuff like that. You'd hit one, two, three, and the door would start to open, then you'd hit the wrong one and close, and you'd go, what was the combination again? And <laughs> they were... But they, they were... They were well-crafted because physically and graphically they weren't amazing at the time. And you had to read, remember you always had to read what to do, like, hi, I'm Indy. And you'd have three choices to pick, like, should I hit yeah. the guy, should I talk to him, or should I offer him some money? And, yeah. you, you, but, but like, back then we weren't exposed to that rapid fire, you know, PS3 and Xbox 360 graphics. We were like, okay, this is cool. It's like reading a book, and it takes a long time to do it. So they were very well crafted. Like Thrasher said, yeah, the LucasArts games were always put together well. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, aside from Lego Indie, which was fantastic with the uh, graphics and the, the fun of it all, uh, the staff at Kings was probably the biggest letdown of all the indie games because they had promised that to be on an Xbox 360 platform, 
and they showed some cut scenes from it where Indy's battling it out on top of a streetcar in San Francisco, and it looked amazing. And then they downsized it to a, a Wii game, and a lot of the cool stuff that they showed in those uh, previews just never came to fruition. But there's great potential for Indiana Jones when it comes to uh, the video games, and we can even go back and find out more of those lost years between uh, Mystery of the Blues and Crystal Skull, maybe even in the 50s. Or, or beyond Crystal Skull. It would be kind of cool to see uh, what happened to Indy in the 60s, maybe. I want to see him involved with the race to the moon. You know Indiana Jones had to have (laughs) something to do with the space race. I I wrote a story like that. Go to theraven.com. You can find my my theory of Indiana Jones and the the lunar landing. There's a whole thing about that. Yeah, about how they they find Excalibur, and it's such a powerful weapon. You know the whole Lady in the Lake thing? Yeah. Excalibur comes from that. And you know the Sea of Tranquility? Basically, it's like you have to get the sword... Uh, off the earth because whoever wields the sword of Excalibur is destined to rule the entire world and there's a whole thing where Indy battles the commies and the Chinese uh, to find it so it's the Russians, the Chinese and, and Americans all searching for it and they finally find it and uh, you know Indy has it, Kennedy's in it President Kennedy and it's like whoever can wield this power is going to you know destined for you know world conqueror and at the end of the story, I had Kennedy surrendering it to Indiana Jones, and it becomes locked in that warehouse. And at the end, you see what they really did with it is they put it aboard the Apollo 11, and you needed somebody with a strong arm to wield the Excalibur, and hence the name Armstrong. Hmm. Thank you. And then he buries it in the Sea of Tranquility. You know, like the, the arm came out of the Lady of the Lake, and the Excalibur, oh, yeah. an arm comes out of the Sea of Tranquility and takes Excalibur back and buries it so it's off the earth so no one will ever find it. And that's one of those things you think about as an indie fan with a lot of free time on your hands when you're cutting the lawn. And you're like, hey, that would be cool. In that the would 60s. be cool. Yeah, so if Lucas is listening right now, I'm waiting for my check to come in the mail, please, <laughs> for a story idea. But I it, remember... It, it, it's a, a good idea. It's potential. When they also Go did ahead. some different Indiana Jones uh, books over the years, as a kid, I remember yeah. reading some of the... Uh, young Indiana Jones novels that weren't related to uh, episodes of the TV show at all. But right. it had him going to, oh, jeez, Stonehenge and yep. that sort of thing. So I, I read some of those. But they also did sort of uh, books for a more adult audience written by uh, Rob McGregor and Max McCoy. Rob McGregor, yep. Uh, Martin the most Caden. Part, Martin Caden, right. And uh, Steve Perry did yeah, uh, the most the, recent one. Yeah, Army of the Dead, yeah. They um, they were pretty popular. I remember getting them all. You'd read about it. It was young indie, post the TV show, and prior to, I'm going to say, early 30s. And you'd see Marcus Brody in some of those books, and, and he bumps into Sala and Belloc's in it. So it is kind of cool. You do get some of the movie characters popping up on these adventures. Cool. Yeah, if you want to see. You know, it's funny. There's a, a an, un, I saw Frank Darabont, and I asked him. There was a script that was going to be written for... Young Indy that had Young Indy meeting Rene Belloc, his nemesis from Raiders Lost Ark, and they were looking for Crystal Skulls, the hmm. two of them, and they and they meet uh, Mitchell Hedges, the the fellow who finds the Crystal Skull that was the big deal. So there's a whole story about that. It was on the drawing boards. They never got to film the TV series. They never obviously showed it up, and Crystal Skulls showed up years later in the movies. But you know, those are the, some of the things you're like, wow, that would have been kind of a cool idea. You know, he's meeting his arch-rival as a kid, and or not, maybe young 20-year-old, you know? 
I don't, I don't know. Where would you guys put Indiana Jones next? Animated films? Is that what it is? A TV series? Is that the future of Indiana Jones? Uh, I'm still kind of fascinated with the idea of doing an animated series uh, with Indy, but do it like in the style of the old serials. I, I think they they could. I, that I'll be surprised if that doesn't happen at some point. I still uh, have high hopes that uh, Harrison Ford will have one more live-action Indiana Jones movie in him. Yeah. And uh, I'm crossing my fingers for that, but, you know, it's pretty... Well, well, what's no. the hold-up? I mean, would you not want to see a 70-year-old man as an action hero? I don't Personally, have a hold-up of seeing him doing live-action at all. I just I just want him to get it done sooner rather than later. There comes to be a point where it gets a little bit ridiculous, but then you could always transition Harrison Ford into the Sean Connery kind of part, I guess, if he needed to. Yeah. Although that'd be kind of sad to see. I don't know. It's... I well, like did you it. get a taste of that in, in Crystal Skull when we were talking about that? Did you did you feel like a lot of fans that he played second fiddle to Shia LaBeouf towards the end of the movie? Did you not get that impression? I didn't get that so much just because... I, don't, I mean, certainly Indiana Jones was more passive in Crystal Skull than maybe some of the other movies. Yeah. But a lot of it, they were kind of running through these crazy <clears throat> locations together, uh, you know, him yeah. and Shia LaBeouf. And so I didn't yeah. really feel like one was above... The other necessarily, they just were sort of on. They were just trying to survive. It was a fight or flight instinct. Well, if there is an Indiana Jones five, do you want to see the further development of the Mutt Williams character, or you want to see Indy back on his own, uh, not with his son traveling around? Do you have any preferences for that? I'd rather see him without his son, but I'd be surprised if they didn't have his son in there somewhere, given that they'd established him in a Crystal Skull. Yeah. What do you? Well, think one of the other things we. I was going to say, one of the other things we talked about, do you guys do know that Tom Selleck was originally cast for Indiana Jones for Raiders Lost Ark? I had heard that. Yeah, I had heard yeah, that. But, yeah. And the, the story goes, he had an option for this new CBS pilot that he had done called Magnum P.I., and if they picked it up, he had to go do it. So sure enough, they picked it up, and then he had to give up. I mean, he was cast. He was Indiana Jones. He was going for costume fittings, and he was ready to rock and roll again on the set. But because of this prior contract commitment, he had to leave, and Harrison Ford was a 12th-hour replacement for him. So one of the things that have always been on the topic of indie fans is, if there is an Indiana Jones 5, would it be cool if Harrison Ford's more like the American beer-drinking hero, you know? And then you have this polished, uh, older, sophisticated Yale professor, you know, very, very fashionable Tom Selleck as the hero. You know, and they go against each other and even have a love interest for Mary and maybe Indy gets jealous because she's like, wow, he's hot, you know, and the, the whole thing is they have different styles of archaeology where he's more of a, uh, a scientific fella who like investigates things and does real archaeology as opposed to a, a field grave robber like Indiana Jones. That would be an interesting setup. Maybe if they could bring those two guys together, I'm sure Tom Sillick would appreciate it for his movie career. Yeah, I think Tom Selleck is really uh, talented. It's just the way his career went. It's uh, I just think of him so much with TV, where he has the new yeah. show, uh, Blue Bloods. That's a cop show, yeah. and he's done a bunch of those made-for-TV uh, Jesse Stone sort of mystery movies. Yeah, yeah, those Robert Parker stories. Here's one for you that I throw out there now and then. You don't see this in a lot of movies because of box office potential, but I said, would it be a fitting end to the series if the character of Indiana Jones died at the last moment, saving the world or saving the Earth or saving somebody, 
hmm. and then this, they do come to an end. Or maybe he disappears, like, off to the Lost Horizon type of thing. You know, he's in Shangri-La. He, he got lost in an avalanche, and you never really know what happens to him. He could still be out there having adventures, but we'll never know. Would that be a downer for this series if they if they killed the character off, or would that kind of be a cool fitting end to this? I'm... And, you know, no, Harrison Ford's it. Indy's dead. That's close the book. That's it. Five movies. We're done. What do you guys I, think about it? I see this. I see this in a couple of ways. Um, on the on the one hand, you know what? I if if he got if 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 he died, if he got a, a sort of a glorious hero's death, if he died fighting for something uh, for something great, I th- I think I would like to see that. I think that would be a great way for for him to go down if he if he if he you know sacrifices himself. And then, of course, for a number of reasons, his corpse would be kept in the warehouse from uh, <laughs> Raiders of Lost Ark because because it's because his bones have been exposed to something. And on the other hand, you you mentioned you mentioned like an avalanche at Shangri La. I think that would be actually a neat kind of ending. You know, have, have him you know into bed, have this big natural disaster. Clearly, there's no way he could have survived, but maybe he got to Shangri La at the last minute. Maybe he's still there. And yeah. now he's 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 done so much and seen so much. Now he's just like another sage in Shangri La, living out eternity. See, I would like, or the Grail Knight to go back to the Indiana Jones movies. You know, oh, he's yeah. like locked there as, as a protector of a sacred object or something like that. Well, you guys do sequel cast for a living here. Have you touched on the death of Captain Kirk in Star Trek Generations? Did you guys cover that one yet? We have not talked about the Star Trek movies yet. At some point, because we will. I was going to say, that's the only series that I could ever think that were a major character, a major hero, was killed off once and for all. I mean, they did kill Spock, but they brought him back. But that was yeah. a big thing in the early 80s. But Kirk died, and it was not the most glorious death. I mean, it was one of these no. things you watched, and like, he deserved a better death scene than that. He looked like he slipped and, like I said earlier, broke his hip. Well, I mean, just, the way that, they originally filmed the ending for Star Trek Generations is uh, Captain yeah. Kirk was supposed to be shot in the back and killed. And yeah, by uh, Malcolm McDowell. By Malcolm McDowell, yeah. and test audiences hated it so much that they just had the, uh, what was it a bridge fell on top of him. Yeah, no, yeah, he was yeah. reaching for the, uh, the 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 invisible force field that was protecting the missile that Picard had to shut off, and you know, yeah, the scaffolding fell, and he kind of fell to his death, and it was just lame. But I could see getting shot in the back is just a punk way to kill. Oh, exactly. Such a it's such a character. difficult thing to figure out, but I think your like, Indiana like, Jones if, idea if is good, but. I mean, speaking about the Shatner Star Trek stuff for a minute, you know, William Shatner, uh, with some other writers, I can't recall their names, wrote a lot of spinoff novels that said, well, Captain Kirk didn't really die. He kept on going on. And actually, with the uh, Star Trek movie that came out uh, a few years ago, the sort of reboot, um, Mm -hmm. alternate reality, the the writers had scripted in that a cameo for uh, Captain Kirk by Shatner, where he would have delivered a message to uh, Spock of him performing the song Happy Birthday, of showing how much he loved and cared for old Spock. And yeah. um, I think that would have come off as ridiculous. As much as I would have liked to see Shatner again, yeah. him singing, you just think of his career of doing Rocket Man or all right, these bizarre right. well, you know, sing it like that. No, you don't no think but so? the thing about Shatner is, off screen, because I've met the fella, he's like an Adam West. They become, there's no, at this point in their career, 
there's no delineation between the character on television and the guy you meet in real life. Yeah. He's constantly playing William Shatner. Adam West is playing Adam West at this point in their career, and that's where they make their money at. Harrison Ford's not like that. I mean, he is gruff and grumbly at this point in his age and stuff, but he is Indiana Jones. He is Han Solo. As much as they have some similar lifestyles and they're you know daredevils, they're not the same guy. He's not a cookie cutter. He's not. That's the only role he plays. You know, he might pick movies where he seems to be the adventure hero, but the Tom Clancy, uh, Jack Ryan character, that's not Han Solo. You know, I mean, he has, right. he does have some nuances in his performances. Uh, but when he puts that hat on, I think I think it was Thrasher who mentioned it during the Crystal Skull, or maybe you, Uncle Milkshake, that silhouette. Forget the rest of the movie. You might hate it. But that one moment in the very beginning when they throw him out of the ground in the trunk, and he stands up, and you just see the silhouette, and he's putting the hat on, and you hear the, the, the music stirring, like, din, 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 and he turns into the camera. Everybody in the audience gets chills. You know what I mean? He's he's yeah. that guy. You see him, you go, freaking, that's in the end of Jones, damn it. And uh, if he was to kill that character off, and they didn't reboot it and get a younger actor, I think it would be amazing. I think it would be a great performance for Ford. It would be a fitting end. It would be like Clint Eastwood if he killed off Dirty Harry. And I almost think that last movie he did, uh, what was it? It has a car name to it. I can't think of it. Where he was that old Torino. Korean War. Yeah, Gran Torino, exactly. That was cool. There's an actor who's in his 70s playing not a, a slam-bam action role, but he's still a very pivotal character. And he goes out in a blaze of glory, if you will, protecting yeah. somebody. And I think Ford would have a great moment on screen and people would go, hey, that, that that's something else, you know? It's not a Captain Kirk falling and, and dying under a bunch of rubble, you know? Well, you're not going to think but, about it. Has Harrison Ford ever gotten a chance to play a death scene? Yeah, in Mosquito Coast with River oh, Phoenix. That's the only movie Harrison Ford dies where he, uh, they showed, I mean, he doesn't close his eyes and do the uh, turn of the head, but you, you know that the character dies off as they go up river. You don't know. I, I just think it would be a cool way to end the Indiana Jones series after all these video games, books, novels, TV shows, movies, if you had a fitting bookend to it. Mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes died, guys, you know, in the books. They brought yep. him back, but he died yeah. once. Yep. It's happened. Of course, he didn't come, it didn't involve sending Sherlock's remains to the Genesis planet. It turned out he had faked his death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was no Kobayashi Maru or any of that type of stuff, but I don't know. It's just one to think about, and then you know, a fitting way to end this whole uh, conversation on the greatest adventure hero of the last 30 years. Or, or am I just saying that because I'm partial? What do you guys think? Is Indiana Jones one of the greatest movie screen heroes ever? I would say so. Uh, he certainly had, in, in, in my personal opinion, yes. He's When I, when I think of, when I think of uh, movie heroes... Uh, as far as characters go, he I think Indiana Jones would be in my top four. I uh, I love Indiana Jones as well. I, I think, you know, I, I really looked up to him now and, you know, both when I was a kid as well. And uh, he's really iconic. He has a a sense of humor. You uh, you learn a little bit about culture and history watching his adventures in the movies or on the TV show. And uh, Indiana Jones is uh, a classic. I, I sometimes wonder how... Um, you know, if you're a younger listener of the sequel cast, please send us an email, sequelcast at gmail.com, on what you think about the series, because I don't know if younger people might think it's slow-paced or, or whatever. Well, but I, I don't know. Well, I think, 
I, I've kind of brainwashed my two sons. One just turned 13 and the other one turned 11 a month or so ago. They've grown up with Indiana Jones because you come down here in our family room, there's massive indie posters and Raiders toys and statues and sideshow. Cl- I mean, the whole yeah. room looks like the Temple of Doom threw up down here. But uh, they, they, they enjoyed it. And you know what the funniest thing is? We went to a drive and they watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. They actually said it was slow. And I'm like, well, and that floored me, that the pacing mm. and the editing of Raiders Lost Ark was this slow compared to nowadays the films that they watch in 90 minutes, you know, the, the, the way yeah. the edits are and the cuts. But uh, I, I think kids know who they are. He was popular costume. I see kids as uh, trick-or-treaters wearing the Indiana Jones outfit. So he is living on into the eyes of younger viewers. I don't know even if they were shocked by the violence anymore as they were back in the 80s, the ripping of the hearts and True. the melting heads. They probably laugh at that stuff and go, that's it? That's spooky? Come on, give me a break. Yeah, you know? this past well, week I was walking through the my neighborhood I live in here in Portland, Oregon, and on the sidewalk there were some kids drawing chalk drawings on the different parts of the sidewalk, and yeah. one was of a stick figure, Indiana Jones. Yeah. And below it they had written Indiana Jones. They misspelled it. I think they spelled it yeah. as like I-N-D-Y-A-N-A. But uh, it, it, was, it was really cute to see. You know, it reminded me of when I drew stick figures of Indiana Jones when I was little. Yeah. So it's it's that character every kid wants to be. Who doesn't want to put on a hat and get a whip and a gun and go out in the jungle and find gold? I mean, that's every little boy's fantasy. Little girls too. And when, and I, and thing, when I got older, that fantasy took many darker turns. <laughs> <laughs> that's we don't go there. This is a G-rated uh, podcast, right, fellas? I, I don't know what you guys. Do uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> Not oh, all right. Some well, of our past comments. Well, we've been pretty. God clean with the language talking about indiana jones but uh you know it's time to wrap things up uh mitch i thank you ever so much for being on all these five uh, episodes we've done on indiana jones it's been a real treat to have you bring your knowledge and uh, your discussion on these films here on the sequel cast. oh yeah guys it's been a pleasure i mean this is what i do all the time i mean i just talked to vic armstrong to throw a, a name out there if you guys have watched any movie james bond indiana jones superman he's working on spider-man he just did thor he was Indiana Jones, as we talked before in the uh, the first trilogy there. I just talked to this fellow yesterday. He's got a great new book out there. And if you like listening to old Hollywood stories, make sure you tune into the IndieCast next week or whenever this airs, episode 130, I think it is already. He'll be on there. He's on there for a good 50 minutes talking about all the movies and Sean Connery. So there's a lot of good Indiana Jones stories out there. And I encourage you guys, if you like Indy, to check out the IndieCast and visit the Raider.net. And have a blast, guys. It's fun. It's fun, and it's been fun talking about it with you, fellas. And you got a new fan on me. I'll be checking out and see what movies you're going to talk about next. Excellent. Thanks. Uh, What's the name of that book by Vic Armstrong? That is right in front of me, and it is called The True Adventures of the World's Greatest Stuntman, subtitled My Life as Indiana Jones, James Bond, Superman, and Other Movie Heroes by... Vic Armstrong, and the cover has him as Indy cutting the rope bridge in a scene we didn't see in the movie where he's actually falling through the air with the machete, and the bridge is collapsing underneath him. I'm like, when was that in the movie? Hmm. But uh, he's a great guy. In fact, if you guys are in, did you do the Spider-Man series yet? Not yet, Not no. Yet. So, well, you gotta, gotta, you guys got to catch up. Come on, guys. They're doing number four. <laughs> we didn't start at the beginning of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking to me about the film work he just did on Spider-Man and that, we talk about CGI effects and such, and he's from the old school where they actually threw guys off of 340 foot tall buildings and stuff. He is a big proponent of physical effects and actually showing the uh, the actors doing their stunts, not CGI or 
or dummies or things like that. And next year, when Spider-Man 4 comes out, the reboot, uh, a lot of that stuff is never before seen effects. You're going to have Andrew Garfield actually swinging on ropes and lines to make it look like he's a Spider-Man. So there's a lot of cool stuff that this guy's working on, and he got his start with the the indie series and James Bond, so be sure to uh, to check out that and check out the book. It's also available as a Kindle version, and I know I do not get a cut from Mr. Armstrong's uh, uh, agent for promoting it. It's just a great book. And that's all I got for uh, Indiana Jones news this week. Okay. Well, like uh, you were saying, Mitch, you can catch up with uh, a lot of Mitch's uh, Indiana Jones coverage on uh, the IndieCast. And uh, also check out the website, theraider.net, which has a lot of Indiana Jones news and has a pretty active message board. And they're oh, also yeah. on uh, Facebook as well, if you want to check out stuff there. So, um, all right, I guess I have to say that's the end of our Indiana Jones coverage on oh, the sequel Oh, hold on, cast. Uncle Milkshake. Yes. You Uh-oh. forgot something. Do you what? remember? Do you remember what I said uh, 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 at the end of uh, last week's episode? Yeah, make it quick. It's like what Indiana oh, Patricia yes, okay. and the something something. Yeah, the the, the Diana Jones Award, a real obscure Indiana Jones related thing. Okay. There's one Indiana Jones spinoff we haven't talked about, and that was the Indiana Jones Adventure role playing game that TSR did in the eighties. Okay. Oh, right. I got it right here. Excellent. Imagine that. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things like it, it sold well, but it's one of those things that that gamers didn't really warm up to. Uh, uh, anyway, there. Uh, anyway, in uh, at, at some point, uh, a group of people in the in the uh, after TSR had gotten bought out by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, there was an they they had one remaining unsold copy of the game, which was ritually destroyed and bits and pieces from it put into a uh, a uh, either perspex or lucite pyramid. Accounts vary, and that pyramid became the Diana Jones Award. And the reason why it's called the Diana Jones Award is that the only thing that identifies the the contents of the pyramid as being from the Indiana Jones role-playing game is that part of the label survived the destruction process, and it's just Diana Jones. So it has nothing to do with a real Diana Jones. Uh, and uh, it's, given, it's given away for excellence in gaming, starting with uh, 2001. There's a secret panel of judges that determines it. They have a very eclectic list of people, places, and things that have received the award over the past uh, 10 years. And in fact, many years, more than one thing has won the award. Uh, one other interesting bit of trivia is that one of the game pieces that floats in the pyramid is one of the Nazi game counters in which the word Nazi is trademarked. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the the Indiana Jones role-playing game came with these like little uh, paper gaming pieces you could use as miniatures when you were doing tactical combat, and it included just generic Nazis, but the label yeah. that said Nazi on the, on those it was Nazi trademarked. Trademarked and, by who? The third. Reich. Well, that's the thing. There's been a lot of speculation. Many people claim that it was Wiz- that Wizards of the Coast put the trademark on there, but according to according to an interview with one of the founders of the Diana Jones Award, that trademark was actually insisted upon by Lucasfilms. That Lucasfilms insisted that they put a trademark on everything related to the game. And that led to the absurdity of trademarking the word Nazi. <laughs> oh, you know what? We could have had a whole discussion that I've had before about how they erased the whole Nazi imagery over the last 10 or 20 years when it comes to toys and games and books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Even that video game we talked about, uh, Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings, the posters and such, there's no swastikas in them. 
there's like Nazi flags, the red with the white circle, but there's new swastikas. Mm-hmm. In but it's not a Nazi flag. <laughs> Well, then no, even- but it, it, they're called. The, well, they don't even refer to them as Nazis. The toys that came out, the toy line, and there, there's laws all over the place. You can't send uh, materials through the mail in certain countries if there's any swastika paraphernalia or anything like that. So there's yeah, a lot of a lot of laws like that in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really odd to have a bad guy. And then there's another tangent we didn't talk about that I've asked people and I've never heard back. Why Indiana Jones never went to the Pacific and fought the Japanese? before World War II. Because now you've got around to it. Well no, then there's there's an there's an Indiana Jones ride in Tokyo Disney. Would you be likely to go to that and be encouraged and not to get racist and stuff, but <laughs> you pay your money to go see Indy killing great, you know, ancestors of yours in World War Two, you'd be like, Hey, wait a second now. That's ain't cool. Which well, so obviously that's... you have to base the ride off a different period in Indy's history. <laughs> Yeah, Indiana Jones versus the Huns. There's no Huns around anymore. Oh, wait, they're okay, forget that. How about Genghis Khan? We'll have to find somebody. Get those car- <laughs> or what is it? Carthinogens. Yeah, that's it. Indiana Jones. There's no more of those guys left, right? No. Okay. Put the Indiana toy Jones and the Cappadocian Curse. <laughs> <laughs> We're not offending anybody this week, so we'll just let it go like that. Hey, I was going to give you guys a, an actual whip crack to sign off with my, with my 10-foot bullwhip here. Okay. Uh, I'm in a, a, a five-and-a-half-foot ceiling. So I don't That's like our too much coolest shit. sign-off noise ever. All right, let's do that. Um, let's let's see if we can, if you can hear it. If not, I'll just I'll just fake a sound effect. But I'll try. Okay. Uh, hold on. I'll put it on. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Ow! Did you get that one? <laughs> I did. Yeah. You okay? I just got my damn. I got my goddamn foot. Okay. <laughs> I'm so, barefoot, and I just whipped it across <laughs> the top of my foot. So. Okay. Well, that, that's a good note as any to... Uh, For your and, Uncle Milk's sake. Right. Wait. There you go. Here's All right. Three whip cracks. Thank you very much. All right. Have well, a good what night. What other guest has ever done that and, and injured their leg? Nope. All right. You deserve special... special uh, you deserve the Diana compensation for, for putting up for, for doing that for us. Sure. Yeah, and you know what? If you guys, obviously you shaved. Have you ever like cut yourself and you don't see it right away and you slowly feel that red line start yeah, to form? Yeah. I'm watching it form right now against my little toe. Oh, okay, <laughs> the pain. Get that, get that fixed. On that note, go, because I'm going to the first aid kit now. Yep. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. Good night. Good night, guys. Oh, that was great. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. See you, man.